Chapter 11.2 of the 9-11 Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. 11.2 Policy The road to 9-11 again illustrates how the large, unwieldy U.S. government tended to underestimate a threat that grew ever greater. The terrorism fostered by bin Laden and al-Qaeda was different from anything the government had faced before. The existing mechanisms for handling terrorist acts had been trial and punishment for acts committed by individuals, sanction, reprisal, deterrence, or war for acts by hostile governments. The action of al-Qaeda fit neither category. Its crimes were on a scale approaching acts of war, but they were committed by a loose, far-flung, nebulous conspiracy with no territories or citizens or assets that could be readily threatened, overwhelmed, or destroyed. Early in 2001, DCI Tenant and Deputy Director for Operations James Povett gave an intelligence briefing to President-elect Bush, Vice President-elect Cheney, and Rice. It included the topic of al-Qaeda. Povett recalled conveying that bin Laden was one of the gravest threats to the country. Bush asked whether killing bin Laden would end the problem. Pavit said he and the DCI had answered that killing bin Laden would have had an impact, but would not stop the threat. The CIA later provided more formal assessments to the White House, reiterating that conclusion. It added that in the long term, the only way to deal with the threat was to end al-Qaeda's ability to use Afghanistan as a sanctuary for its operations. Perhaps the most incisive of the advisers on terrorism to the new administration was a holdover Richard Clark. Yet he admits his policy advice, even if it had been accepted immediately and turned into action, would not have prevented 9-11. We must ask when the U.S. government had reasonable opportunities to mobilize a country for major action against al-Qaeda and its Afghan sanctuary. The main opportunities came after the new information the U.S. government received in 1996 and 1997, after the embassy bombings of August 1998, after the discoveries of the Jordanian and Rissam plots in late 1999, and after the attack on the USS Cole in October 2000. The U.S. policy response to al-Qaeda before 9-11 was essentially defined following the embassy bombings of August 1998. We described those decisions in Chapter 4. It is worth noting that they were made by the Clinton administration under extremely difficult domestic political circumstances. Opponents were seeking the president's impeachment. In addition, in 1998-99, President Clinton was preparing the government for possible war against Serbia, and he had authorized major airstrikes against Iraq. The tragedy of the embassy bombings provided an opportunity for a full examination across the government of the national security threat that bin Laden posed. Such an examination could have made clear to all that issues were at stake that were much larger than the domestic politics of the moment. But the major policy agencies of the government did not meet the threat. The diplomatic efforts of the Department of State were largely ineffective. Al-Qaeda and terrorism was just one more priority added to already crowded agendas with countries like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. After 9-11, that changed. 
policymakers turned principally to the CIA and covert action to implement policy. Before 9-11, no agency had more responsibility or did more to attack al-Qaeda during day and night than the CIA. But there were limits to what the CIA was able to achieve in its energy's worldwide efforts to disrupt terrorist activities or to use proxies to try to capture or kill bin Laden and his lieutenants. As early as mid-1997, one CIA officer wrote to his supervisor, All we're doing is holding the ring until the cavalry gets here. Military measures failed or were not applied. Before 9-11, the Department of Defense was not given the mission of ending al-Qaeda's sanctuary in Afghanistan. Officials in both the Clinton and Bush administration regarded a full U.S. invasion of Afghanistan as practically inconceivable before 9-11. It was never the subject of formal interagency deliberation. Lesser forms of intervention could also have been considered. One would have been the deployment of the U.S. military or intelligence personnel or special strike forces to Afghanistan itself or nearby, openly, clandestinely, secretly, or covertly, with their connection to the United States hidden. Then the United States would no longer have been dependent on proxies to gather actionable intelligence. However, it would have needed to secure basing and overflight support from neighboring countries. A significant political, military, and intelligence effort would have been required, extending over months and perhaps years, with associated costs and risks. Given how hard it has proved to locate bin Laden, even today, when there are substantial ground forces in Afghanistan, its odds of success are hard to calculate. We have found no indication that President Clinton was offered such an intermediate choice or that this option was given any more consideration than the idea of invasion. These policy challenges are linked to the problem of imagination we have already discussed. Since we believe that both President Clinton and President Bush were genuinely concerned about the danger posed by al-Qaeda, approaches involving more direct intervention against the sanctuary in Afghanistan apparently must have seemed, if they were considered at all, to be disproportionate to the threat. Insight for the future thus not easy to apply in practice. It is hardest to mount a major effort when the problem still seems minor. Once the danger is fully materialized, evident to all, mobilizing action is easier, but it then may be too late. Another possibility short of putting U.S. personnel on the ground was to issue a blunt ultimatum to the Taliban, backed by a readiness to at least launch an indefinite air campaign to disable the region's limited military capabilities and tip the balance in Afghanistan's ongoing civil war. The United States had warned the Taliban that it would be held accountable for further attacks by bin Laden against Afghanistan U.S. interests. The warning had been given in 1998, again in late 1999, once more in the fall of 2000, and again in the summer of 2001. Delivering it repeatedly did not make it more effective. As evidence of al-Qaeda's responsibility for the coal attack came in during November 2000, National Security Advisor Samuel Berger asked the Pentagon to develop a plan for a sustained air campaign against the Taliban. Clark developed a paper laying out a formal specific ultimatum, 
but clark's plan apparently did not advance to formal consideration by the small group of principals we have found no indication that the idea was briefed to the new administration or that clark passed his paper to them although the same team of career officials spanned both administrations after nine eleven president bush announced that al-qaeda was responsible for the attack on the u s s coal before nine eleven neither president took any action bin laden's inference may have been that attacks at least at the level of the coal were risk-free End of chapter 11.2